I love this season um, because we get to sing songs like that, right? And um, how many of you cut out on O Night Divine? You didn't even try it. Um, great job, Dan. Great job. Uh, a couple of announcements then. If you own a Prius, your dome light is on. Um, uh, so we want to help you get home tonight. So uh, you're in the parking lot. If you own a Prius, 40LN83. Your lights are on. Secondly, I guess there's a Christmas concert going on next door at Chandler Christian. So if you're here for the Chandler Christian Christmas concert, uh, we'll sing a few more carols. Um, but you might want to uh, head next door, especially if you have guests um, that are expecting you there. So um, welcome to Cornerstone um, Christian Fellowship. Um, we are in the middle of the book of James, and we're not going to conclude by the end of the season, which is next week for us. So we'll meet this week, and then we'll meet next week. And uh, we'll get through, hopefully, chapter 2 today, and we'll try our best at chapter 3 next week, and then we'll jump right back in starting in January. With that said, um, one of the things that I, uh, I enjoy about this format is that we have microphones, um, and I'm really hoping we have some, some guys that can run mics tonight, um, because, great, okay, um, because I, I love the format because we get to talk to each other, and I know it's a fairly large setting for us to do that, but nonetheless, we still get to do it. And for the past few months, as I've had the privilege of, of teaching here at the Mine, that you've felt the freedom to do that, and I've really enjoyed that, and I wanted to continue that theme or that in that vein tonight. Um, one of the things that I will honestly look forward to in heaven is with the millions and millions and millions of years we have in there, uh, is part of that I think will be spent talking to each other and visiting with each other um, and getting outside of our boxes, as we talked about last week, and just visiting with, with saints of old, um, both young and old, but of different eras, different um, ethnicities, different parts of the world. And what, is, what a time that will be. And I think that part of our conversation will simply be about stories. Um, stories about how God moved in, here in our lives and, and what God did. And, and we'll have some reflection time of the awesome power of God because then it will be made clear as to exactly what God was doing in a particular circumstance. And so while now it seems cloudy and, and dim, uh, it will be made clear. And so I will enjoy that time. The beauty of what we get to do as a Christian body this side of heaven is uh, we get to see the same God move. We get to see him act. And thank God we worship a God who is, is um incarnate and he's in us and he's with us and so deism would teach that god where this fly is gonna get the best of me tonight um deism would teach that god is had created the world and then spun it into motion and then took off uh some of our founding fathers would would hold that position that that the same god of the bible but he he basically started everything and now it's kind of a great deal of free will on our part um, I don't think that that's necessarily true. In fact, I think that God is very involved in the workings of you and me. And, uh, and then if we broaden it out to our church and then broaden it out to our community and so forth. And so part of what we see in our lives is the very hand of God at work. And what I want to do just to get us started tonight is I just thought if we could just spend some time um, encouraging each other by sharing stories with each other. Um, and boy, I tell you what, I don't know. It's is it? It's attacking me. It's literally attacking me. 
I cast you out in the name of Jesus, you devil fly. Um, because guys, when I talk to people who tell me about stories about how God is moving in their life, about how they're trusting God for something, or they've trusted God for something, or maybe you know of someone who did that recently, or, or maybe, uh, maybe not too recently, but you know of a story where someone said, I am going to trust God with this. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it was a relationship that needed to be mended. Maybe it was um, a ministry opportunity or to serve someone, a neighbor or co-worker. And so you stepped out in faith and you said, God, I'm going to trust you for this. And in this very moment right now, in, 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 while everything else is going on in my life, this is what's rising to the top of my thoughts. And so, God, I'm going to trust you with this. And, and, and you did, and you stepped out, and you lived in that moment. And you, you, you didn't know where it was going to go. You didn't know the outcome. But you simply acted out of faith, and you watched God work. And God did. He, he promised to come through, and he did. And, and, and so I've got some stories, and, and, but, but I wanted us to share maybe by way of encouragement with each other. It, it could have happened to you personally. It could have happened to a spouse or a child or a cousin or aunt or grandparent could have happened to a neighbor or coworker, but I'd like for you, I'll, I'll share one to get us started and then, and then you can just raise your hand here. This isn't a time for self-promotion. It's not a time for patting ourselves on the back. It's just simply a time for us to say, God is alive. And when we step out in faith and trust what we cannot see and, and believe in what we, uh, we know to be true, though we may not be, be able to empirically prove it, we still know that God is alive and well and this is how he showed up in my life or my friend's life. Or So give that some thought. When you have something you want to share with us, uh, just raise your hand. And we've got a couple guys with mics here, and they'll, they'll be glad to uh, let, us, let us enjoy your story as well. I can remember um, when I was back in college at ASU, and, um, and we would take mission trips down to uh, Mazatlan, Mexico. Boy, I'll tell you what. we got some problems tonight. Um, I was and, and I was getting out my jeez. I'm sorry, sound guys. You're doing a great job. I was getting out of my van tonight, and I just I felt my back. I'm at that age where all you have to do is get out of something, and you feel your back tighten, you know. And I thought that's all I need is I'm going to be writing up here on the board, and my back will go out, and I'll just. Is that does that work for you guys? Is that too tight? Okay. Um, so I'm, a, I'm at ASU, and I'm a college student, and we're doing ministry down in, in Mazatlan, Mexico, and our ministry involved um, talking to college students, which that's not a, you know, that's okay, we can all do that, and that's not a huge step of faith. But the idea of going down to Mazatlan, Mexico when you're in college is primarily to go down there to get away from life and just to enjoy life for a while in a very, um, in some interesting ways. And um, part of that includes half-dressed, half-naked people on the beach, um, drinking a lot and just kind of living out there on the beach. And so here comes this little band of Christ followers, the same age. And we stayed in a hotel about a mile down off the beach where the main parties were going on on the beach. And so I can remember for, for three or four years while I was in college, every spring break we would go down there and we would start on the, on the south end of the beach and we would walk up to where the crowds were. And, and so we started and we started walking and there was no one around us. And so 
it felt very comfortable. It felt very, but then the closer we got, as those little dots up, up the beach became actually bigger and bigger and bigger to real people, then the heart started to pound and the, and the, and the, 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 the pressure set in to, God, what are we doing here? I mean, I'm going to sit down with this person and ask them if they know you or ask them if they've ever heard of Jesus and they're down here to party and, and I don't know how this conversation is going to go. And so day after day, we would, um, we would spend our time walking up the beach in prayer. And while prayer helped, I, you know, honestly, out of my flesh, it still was absolutely terrifying. And so we would, we would, you know, kind of fumble around in the sand for a little while and kick our feet. And, and then finally we'd see like two or three guys if, if you know, I was, I was a guy. And so we'd t- see two or three guys and they'd just be sitting there drinking a beer and just watching the waves roll in. And I thought, you know, God, you are, you're literally like telling me to go talk to these guys. But God, I just, I don't want to. And so in that very moment, I said, God, I would just, I will, I will trust that this is what you want me to do. So here I am, you know, five foot nothing, walking up to some, some guys on the beach and thinking this, this conversation has the opportunity to go any which way it wants to go. And guys, I'm, you know, three or four trips to Mazatlan later, I'm here to tell you, um, God was involved in each one of those conversations because not only did we see many college-age students who wanted to go down there to get away from it all come to the cross, which was an unbelievable sight to lead someone to the Lord while they've got, you know, a few beers in their hands. And, just, and, and to hear the conversations, they would go something like this. By about day three, after the kids have gotten down there, by about day three, they were ripe for the picking, really, come to find out. Because it's not all it's cracked up to be. And they found themselves just sitting there on the beach wondering, is this really all there is? We thought it'd be this great time, and I'm sitting here making a mess of my life. And now I'm, and, and I've ha- I had several conversations where it went like this. I can't even believe I'm sitting here talking to you on the beaches of Mazatlan about Jesus Christ when I thought I was coming down here to live a very ungodly few weeks. Not only that, but at nighttime, this college group I was with, we would go into the barrios um, that very, the, 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 at nighttime and we'd show the, the Jesus film in Spanish. We'd hang up a, a bed sheet and we'd, just, we'd show the Jesus film in Spanish. And would you know that these college students that came to get away from it all, we had several of them every night ask, because we'd end the conversation, either lead them to the Lord or not lead them to the Lord or have a great spiritual conversation. But then at some point we'd say, you know, we got to go and we're going to talk to someone else or we're just going to go back to our hotel. And they would say, what are you guys doing tonight? And I'd say, well, we're not doing what you're doing. You know, whatever you're planning on doing, you know, I'd probably like to at some point, but we're not going to. So we're going to go into this, you know, we're going to the barrio and we're going to show this Jesus film. And guys, we had, we had people asking us every night, can we come with you? Okay, we're, we're going to show a film on a bed sheet in the neighborhoods, in the, in the poor neighborhoods in town. You, what, do you, what do you mean? You, well, that sounds, that sounds we, can we come with you? And so we would load it, we'd hop in the back of a pickup and we'd go and, and watch God just work and transform lives. Uh, it, was, it was an incredible, an incredible season of my life to watch God, really faith in action, to watch God just literally just take your, your little seed of faith and say, I'm going to change a life right in front of you, right in, in the, the heart of sin. I'm going to change a life. Uh, and it, raise your hand. And it doesn't have to be, and, and I, I share that story just because that's on my mind. It doesn't have to be that at all. It doesn't have to be some witnessing. It can be a financial issue. Where have you seen God show up, basically? recently we got one here and i think there's one back here 
Uh, I just wanted to share um, my first trip to India was quite remarkable. Um, while I was there, um, I felt very led to sponsor another child, my husband and I. Um, financially, I thought, I don't know how we're going to do this. We sponsor one in Kenya. We already had one in India. And then the Lord is like, okay, this little girl, you need another one. So I was a little overwhelmed. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know if we can do this. And so I thought, I need to pray on it. Um, but God made it very clear that night um, that that little girl needed to be sponsored. Mm. And I woke up the next day and I thought, okay, I made the commitment right there in India to do that. And I came home and I told them, I said, well, we have three now. <laughs> and um, we just believe that um, it was the Lord's calling and it was something we were supposed to do. Within a very short period of time, I received quite a substantial promotion at work and a 20% increase in my pay. So he more wow. than covered that child. Wow. It was incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's fantastic. Just keep your hands raised, and, and these guys with the mice will come get you here. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of nervous to talk, but... Um, in uh, this year, at, around Labor Day, uh, two people that were really close to my family um, died in a helicopter crash up in Sedona. Mm. And I grew up with their daughter. Um, and it was just the worst thing that you can imagine to see her growth go through and just all my family. And I just didn't understand why things like that happened. It was just so hard for me. And I had spent all day with her, and I was driving back from uh, the, the West Valley, and the whole way back I just prayed, like, God, just help me to understand why things like this happen. I just, I don't want, I just don't understand sometimes. And I just prayed, please, Lord, just show me, show me that you're here. Show me that that you're in control and I just the whole way home I prayed that and I came home it was midnight my husband and my children were asleep on the couch they had been watching I don't know something that had nothing to do with what was on the tv but I walked in and it was um just like a, a god show on on some random channel um, it was Bethany Hamilton, and she um, she's the gal that got her arm taken right. off by a shark. And right. she was just talking about how, you know, there's tragedies. And God just has a way of working through those things. And it just, it just really showed me that God, that was him. He was just showing me that I'm in yeah. control. I'm here. I'm, I'm with them. They're with me. And it was just the most powerful thing I've ever experienced. So. Thank you very much. Yeah, so you're driving home and, and you're praying about this and then a TV show's on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What over here? Yeah. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to share because I think... Um, what happened to me happens to a lot of people, and we're afraid to pray for people that are ill. Yeah. Uh, we think we're going to pray for them, and they're not going to get healed, and then you're not going to be comfortable, and we're going to let all these people down, and all these fears come through us, and we think we shouldn't do it. But at this point, my um, sister's mother-in-law had breast cancer, and yeah. 
I felt, um, another sister of mine, we felt a really, really hard call in our hearts to pray for her. So we go into the um, chapel and we pray and we go into the room and all this family's there. And we pray for her. We talk to her. We were scared. We, To be honest with you, I don't even know what we said. But by the end of the night, she accepted Jesus Christ as, as her Lord and Savior. Wow. She took off the handkerchief that she was embarrassed to show her head. And to make a long story short, she died. But And we prayed so hard for her healing. But she, the Lord called her home. It was her time. Yeah. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why that. Because I had so much faith. I thought she was going to walk off the bed and jump up and down. And <laughs> right. that was my expectation. Yeah. It didn't happen. But like 15 years later... You reminded me, I was in Mazatlan, an aunt of mine died, I went to visit her, and when we were at the cemetery, these two ladies that were this lady's sister, I didn't even remember them, I didn't know what they looked like, I only saw them that one day. They had a ministry going in Mazatlan, because we led their sisters to the Lord, and they saw a difference two or three days later that she passed away, how happy she was. They wanted that for other people, and how, you know, she didn't get healed but all these people came to the lord it was so amazing they were i am not kidding you they were literally kissing our hands they recognized us it was just amazing amazing absolutely that is great wow i've got a really good story um so my wife and i we are not um financially blessed by any means um, but recently, we had made a commitment to uh, give some money to multi-site. And uh, when the Christmas angel tree thing came around, uh, I, without reservation, took three tags, to which my ri- wife responded, um, you know what, we can't afford that. And I was like, well, we have three kids. You know, wow. we're going to get one tag for each kid. And I'm not worried about it. The Lord will provide. And I said that. And, you know, I said it with confidence. Um, but I didn't know how the Lord was going to come through. Like the very following day, my good friend Bill calls me and he says, "Hey, uh, got some some side work to do. If you want to come and work in my yard and and hook hook up some sprinklers for me." So I did that and I told him my price and he, without any reservation, wrote me a check for a hundred dollars more than I asked for, which was multi-site right there. And then uh, Sunday morning. <laughs> this Sunday morning that angel tags were due uh, yeah. and we hadn't bought anything yet. Right. Uh, we were going to go ahead and go and buy them and then write my landlord his rent check and just hope and pray that he didn't cash it for like a week. Um, but another guy that we go to church with, he, he comes up to me and he says, man, I don't know why, but the Lord has pressed me to give this to you. And uh, so turns out there was 350 bucks in the envelope. Um, and you know, we, we went out, we did angel tree, had 50 bucks left. My wife and I were looking for somebody to bless with the extra 50 bucks. Cause you know, that's just the way God is. Um, but then the following morning to top things off, I get an email from the guy, Mike. He says, uh, I just wanted to share this with you. He got a Christmas bonus from his boss in the amount of 350 bucks. <laughs> the guy who gave you the money, the guy who gave me the money. Yeah. I, yeah, 
You can't outgive God. Get one back here. Uh, I have a childhood friend who who was married about five years ago, and uh, after after prayer and, and different considerations, he and his wife decided to start their family through adopting a child first, and then worrying about having uh, you know natural children later. Um, and so they started praying for for God to provide in His time, and went through the process of uh, doing all the paperwork uh, to get uh, licensed to adopt in Arizona. And uh, they got, they started it at the beginning of, let's say, last year. And uh, through this process, they started to refer to their future child as he. They would always just say, when, he, when we have him, you know, when he gets here, it's going to be so great. And then... A couple months later, they started to say, well, why don't we just name him? So we stopped saying just ambiguous he. And they decided they were going to name their son uh, Malachi. Um, Finally, uh, last December, they got approved and were told, well, to get an infant in Arizona, it's going to be at least a year wait. And so they, you know, they were okay with that, and they just continued to pray that uh, in God's time and said, you know, whenever Malachi is part of our family, then it's going to happen. In February of uh, this last year, they got a call and said, hey, we have a, a child who was recently born in Tucson. We wanted to know if you're interested and if you can come down. They went down to Tucson, um, you know, instantly, of course, fell in love uh, the mom had a deck of families to pick from and happened to pick my friend and his wife. And in the email saying that they were selected by this family to adopt this boy, um, the last line said, you know, you can do with this what you want, but the mom just really wanted to let you know that she, you know, when she bore her son, uh, she gave him the name Malachi. And uh, it, she spelled it completely differently than they ended up spelling it. But uh, I just, I'm, I'm not a huge that's God kind of a story. Sure, right, but right. That, I mean, that was just incredible. Yeah, what you say. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I've got plenty to, to talk about here, but I, I just, I think there's value Sorry. in in doing this because I, I, for me anyway, it just, it reassures, um, a, a number of things, but one that there, there are people out there living out their faith. And I'm excited and encouraged by that. When I'm discouraged by the news or by the way the culture's changing, uh, sometimes I begin to think, gosh, are, are, are we shrinking? Is this, you know, is the, is the body of Christ just kind of do we need to circle the wagons? Is it time yet, you know, just to start praying, Jesus, come get us? Or um, are we going to be overrun? And then I hear stories like this, and it just it revives me. It gives me hope. And, and the second thing it does is it, it convicts me. It allows me to say, um, gosh, I, you know, would I have done that? Uh, sometimes I just think that we, well, I know that when I hear stories like, you know, the exact amount, because we, if you've been around the Christian body any, for any length of time, you'll hear stories like that time and time again to the penny. And we, you know, we, we, we marvel at that. And yet sometimes I just think um, God is, you know, has fun with our money. 
And he says, I'm, you know, I'm going to take 350. I'm going to move it over here. And now, you know, I'm what? And, you know, I just, I wonder if he calls some of the angels over and says, watch this. So I'm going to move this here. And they're going to go buy some gifts. And then they're going to give it away. And, and then, you know, I'm going to give the bonus. Then, you know, raise. And, and the angels kind of get giddy about it. Like, yeah, watch what they do. Watch their reaction, you know. And guys, I wonder if, if I could make this proposal tonight. I wonder if I could say this. Could, can the, is, should the Christian life be a series of these type of events? Should the Christian life, should, should, should a believer's life, if we could boil it down to what, is a, what does a Christian's life look like? What should a, a Christ follower's life look like? Could we boil it down to that? That a Christ follower's life is simply a series of events where the follower trusts God and God shows up. And then the follower trusts God some more and God shows up and God blesses and, and directs and guides and then the follower trusts God some more and God just shows up. And, 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 and that no matter your stage of life or your financial situation or that God just, you just keep doing that and God keeps doing that and you keep doing that and God keeps... Is it, could, I, could I make that proposal that, you know, we get all caught up in you know, who's a Christian, who isn't, and how do you know, and what should we do, and, but, but maybe could that be a Christian life, that, that I just keep trusting God for things, and God keeps showing up for these things, and after a while, not to be arrogant or proud, but I begin to expect God to show up for these things, and God says, now you've got it, see, now you've got the dance we're in as a, as a child of mine, this wonderful dance of faith and works, and James comes along to you and to me and he says, what, what, I don't understand why the Christian church for the next 2,000 years is going to fight over this and struggle with this. That when you become a new creation and God does a wonderful thing in transforming you from death to life, from old to new, that he puts, a, he puts Jesus Christ in you, that obviously you would have these stories in your life. That, that seems to be James's thesis throughout at least the first two chapters, what we've talked about so far. And really what James is arguing here is for the reader of his epistle to ask and answer this question, what kind of faith do I have? And a live faith that equates to these series of stories that I'm going to have now because I keep trusting God. And again, these stories don't need to be of this grandiose nature. I mean, those are wonderful, powerful stories. But guys, I've seen God show up in the past two and a half years. I lost my wife to a car accident a couple years ago. And, and I'm raising three kids. And, and faith in action to me, I don't know, probably a hundred or so nights, 150 nights, I'm in my bedroom alone. And, and, and faith to me is just trusting that God's going to show up tonight and give me some peace and give me some joy. In the midst of an unanswerable accident that I still don't have the answers to, and but I got to get up. So, so it doesn't have to be, you know. And then three thousand people got saved, and but but it's a series of stories of me going before my King and my God and saying, God, I you have to show up here. And God says, Yeah, I got it. I got you. So they don't, you know, it's not always these mountaintop summer camp experiences. It's just the daily grind. But are you seeing God in your daily grind? And James is suggesting when you come to know Christ, 
these things, these stories that you're going to have now, we'll call them works, they're going to show up. And when I gather my saints together, either in heaven or here on earth, I'm going to expect them to try to almost one-up each other with stories because there's going to be so many of them. And it's not a one-upping in terms of being proud of it. It's just a one-upping in terms of being proud of God and what God is doing in the lives of his people. See, the Christian church should be exciting to the non-Christian because the non-Christian should come through those doors every single Sunday and hear story after story after story of this incredible God who's working in the lives of his people. And so we sit around and we share stories about, then I did this and this happened, and then I did this and God showed up, and then we adopt, and this... And we give God praise and and to the non-Christian, that needs to be the point of attraction where the non-Christian says, you mean I could get in on this? You mean I could have stories too? Because my stories are filled with hopelessness and despair and crises and materialism and broken families and wrecked marriages and I don't know how I'm going to get from A to B. And I'm hearing stories about God showing up in supernatural ways and can I be a part of that? See, that's, see, that's what I... So, so, so turn with me to James chapter 2 here because James, I think, um, picks up on this starting in verse 14, James chapter 2, 14. And up till this point, James is saying, listen, the way God's going to show up in your life, the way he's going to work in your life is if you come to know him, if you, we'll call that faith, and, and if you've come to embrace the, the essentials of the gospels, Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And, G- and, 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 and James says, great, you got this faith, okay? And because of that, because of your faith, here's what's going to happen. Here's, what, here's how God's going to show up in your life. Your friends and family and coworkers are going to see these things start to show up in your life. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. I just took simply the first two chapters of James. We're in the book, and so I thought I'd go to the nearest context. And this is what James says. You're going to persevere through trials. You're going to be in God's word. You're not going to play favorites. You're going to have humility. You're going to seek wisdom. You're going to show mercy. You're going to put away filthiness. You're going to love your neighbor and accept responsibility for your sins. You're going to help the less fortunate. You're going to apply my word. See, and and so when we talk about God working in your life, we're not necessarily looking at, and then, you know, I, I I climbed Everest, but rather I'm just living my life. It's just different now. And so I don't want us to get hung up on this idea of, well, what is works and, and, you know, are my works good enough and how do I know if I'm doing them? James gives us clear examples of what a believer's life is going to look like. And, and can I emphasize, I picked that word carefully, not should look like, but rather going to. Because, not because of your strength, right? Not because you have the abilities, but because God is doing a work in you. And you're falling deeper in love with him day after day after day. Struggles, absolutely. Imperfections, yes. Sin, absolutely. Did you know that in the, in the book of Romans, what Paul wrote Romans 7, where, you know, it's, a, it's just a, it's, it's this complete treatise on how we can be sinners. You know, all this God talk and all this God is great and God's moving and stuff. And let's just, you know, let's be real careful here, okay? Let's, let's not get... Let, Let's not get too high up on our horses before we acknowledge. Yeah, because we could have as many stories, my guess, is about how we've sinned in this past week. But thank God 
that when we own up to our sin and confess our sin, the Bible says he is righteous to do what? Forgive us of our sins. And then the stories continue. Uh, Question or comment over here? I was just going to make a comment on when you were asking what kind of faith. Paul in Philippians, he talks about he learned to be content and not that he... uh, uh, was already that he had already arrived, but he he just learned it was a process, and I think our faith is a learning process as well by the trials. It was kind of kind of coincidental. I just had a uh, I just talked to somebody prior to coming to Bible study, and we were having that very this very same conversation. I used to get real excited when I was on a the top of a mountain. I just got through a trial, and I was all like, "Yeehaw! Thank you, Lord! I made it through." But then I soon realized that he's just preparing me for the next one and the yeah. next one and the next one. So I don't get so excited like that because I don't want him to hurry up, you know, keep coming. <laughs> right. you know? I want a little bit of time to enjoy it. Right. So, but my whole point was they're just, uh, it's just learning. It's a learning faith. And then when you were talking about, um, yeah. when you're talking about uh, works, works is a result of our faith. Yeah. Our faith isn't a result of our works. And so Absolutely. that's all I had. Absolutely. Thank you. It goes in that order and always in that order. But it does go in that order. So James says in verse 14, he says, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? In other words, what James is saying here is I wouldn't get it if I was a non-Christian and I walked through these doors and the, the guy up here, the girl up here, whatever, stood up here and said, now let's all talk about some stories about how we trusted in God and God showed up and it just went dead silent. And someone finally raised their hand and said, well, you know, um, you know, I, I, I attended 17 Bible studies this week and I memorized 76 passages and I've been at church all week. Actually, I haven't even gone home yet. So I, I guess that's God showing up, right? And that's the best story we've got. And then someone else raised their hand and said, well, I got into an, a great argument um, the other day with a coworker about the teleological proof of God and, and he was arguing for the cosmological proof of God. And I said, well, no, the teleological is better. And so we got into this massive fight. And I, I, that was kind of cool, right? And so we have no God stories, The non-Christian guys is going to look around and say, I don't get it. Because I was at work yesterday and a guy came up and wanted me to know Jesus. And he said, Jesus is going to change my life. And now I come into a place where there's Jesus followers. And he's asking you to share stories about Jesus showing up. And none of you have any stories. I don't get it. And James is echoing that. He says, what use is it if you say you have faith, but you have no works? And again, let's just substitute the word just for our sake tonight for for stories what good is it if you say you have faith but you have no stories to tell us they go hand in hand is what james is saying here he's going to explain this in just a moment yeah faith starts out as a size of a mustard seed and i think what you're talking about is more maturation in faith with good works um early on I think that God provides the personal growth in good works, but on a personal level, to bring you to the point that you can start reflecting that. And that's what I've been hearing in the stories, that people of faith could step out and do good work and see God in action. But for the new believer, it happens personally in various ways. For instance... 
a good night's rest for a troubled mind, you know, and um, uh, small success where there's only been failure. And it's maybe hard to say that that's the Holy Spirit at work. But that, I mean, if you wanted to argue about it, but from a faith point of view, it's real. And it does happen. And there's growth that comes from that that leads to these other things. Uh, yeah, I'd be careful with that, though, for this reason. Um, I know, uh, for instance, when I shared that Mazatlan story, I'd been a believer for about a year. Um, I know that, uh, personally, anyway, and, and I and I've certainly have other evidence for this, that... Um, Yes, I'm not going to have the new believer up here teaching the deep truths of the Word of God. Absolutely. And the Scripture is clear on that, right? Even Paul comes along to Timothy and says, you know, don't let anyone look down on your youth, right? But in, in, in humility and in all these other ways, demonstrate your faith. Certainly there is, is wisdom in, in having a faith that is tested, to do certain things, absolutely. And I will say this, that I don't think that God is irresponsible enough to give someone that is fairly new in their faith any more than they can handle. But completely agree. With that said, um, here I was standing before people, and I couldn't put two and two together in terms of the Bible, but I was telling them the great news of Jesus Christ. And so, And I was trusting God by faith the whole way through. And so... So, yeah, there is t- a tendency, but I don't want to get locked into this is the way it always has to be. I think that Scripture is very clear. In fact, James doesn't put an age on this, but rather James says, if you have faith, your faith will be an alive faith. At, uh, day one after your faith to day 1,000 after your faith. When you come to know faith, you are a new creature. And as a new creature, let's just all admit it. Can we, can we all admit it? Sometimes it works just the opposite, where the new believers are the ones that introduce new blood into a system, a group of believers, and get us all back to where we should be because we've gotten comfortable in our maturing process. We've gotten comfortable in kind of co-piloting with God. And the new believer shows up and they say, I don't know what's going on, but God's changed my life and I need to tell people about this. And so I think we need both. I think obviously we need the new Christian, but we also need the more mature Christian. James comes along in verse 15 and he says, well, if a brother or sister, he gives an example, if brother or sister without clothing, need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Someone, will, someone in verse 18 may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. I'll show you my faith by the works. James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And James found himself getting into a bunch of trouble when he wrote this. From Well, not personally, but as the years went on, even Luther was the one. Luther called this an epistle of straw and actually shoved it way in the back of his Bible because he didn't want to argue with it because he just thought, gosh, it just seems like James is saying that there is a works portion to how I get to go to heaven. And so I just, I want to share with you quickly, I guess, um, just some, uh, because I don't want to lock James into this. James is out on an island biblically, and all the other authors, the New Testament authors, are sitting around saying, gosh, James, how could you have written that? But take a look at this, and this is just kind of, just food for thought. Um, I'll do this. 
Um, so we got James here, right? And so James says, um, we'll make this James. So let's look at James 2, let's say 14 through 26. James clearly says that there is a, there is a marriage between faith and works. Um, I'm not going to, for time's sake, I'm not going to turn there. But um, if you look at John's writing, Apostle John, uh, John says in 1 John 3.10, same thing. You know, it's right next door to James, actually. So take your Bibles. Go, just go two, three books over here to uh, 1 John. And look at three, chapter 3, um, starting in, look at verse 10, and then pick it up in 17 again. John says in chapter 3, verse 10, but... By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Excuse me, nor the one who does not love his brother. See, what John doesn't say is, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who doesn't have faith is not of God. But rather, John chooses his words carefully, and and clearly he's talking about demonstrating that faith through what? Through works, through practicing righteousness. Uh, Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know this by this, what we are the truth and shall assure our heart before him. So John clearly is saying here, this, this isn't a word game. This is not a, a, you know, a deal where we just come along and sit and talk theory. If we don't have stories to tell because of the works in our lives, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of faith do I have? Is it an alive faith or is it a dead faith? Uh, look, at, uh, look at Paul's writing. Paul is the, obviously the one that might bring about the most controversy. And yet if you turn to uh, Galatians 5, Um, We won't turn there, but turn to Ephesians 2. How about we do that? Ephesians 2. Um, And and again, I love this passage. Go back to Ephesians, uh, a few books over to your left. Ephesians chapter 2. Take a look at, uh, starting in verse 8. This is one that is a sword drill for Awanas. If you've been to Awanas Club, you probably memorize Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace you've been saved, how? Through faith. Right, And so he says in, in chapter 2, verse 8, For grace you have saved that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So Paul is clearly sola fide, right? Paul is clearly justification by faith alone. And we all, we champion that. Uh, he brought about, you know, Luther and Calvin brought about this idea of championing this idea of sola fide. And we, the, we, the, the local church has benefited from them getting us out of a works-driven salvation. And we, we praise God for our heroes of the faith, including men like that, because they looked at Paul's writings and they said, Paul is clearly saying, you are saved by grace through your faith, period. But look what he says then in verse 9, not as, as a result of works that no one should boast. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For works. For good works. That we may be, which, or which God prepared before him, that we should walk in them. Paul is laying out clearly, I think, he's, he's echoing what James is saying here. You've been saved by faith through grace alone, period. But isn't it a tragedy that we memorize chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and we stop? 
And Paul goes on to say in verse 10, but you were his, you are his, you are his pride and joy. You are the one that he got off the tool, sh- the, the, the workbench and held up to everyone and said, this is my creation. And the angels are standing around saying, God, why would you create humans? And he said, I created them so that they would know me and that they would do good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Paul makes it clear. He says the same thing in Galatians 5. So I don't want to confuse the issue. It is sola fide. But as a result of sola fide, James is saying, there needs to show in your life God. God needs to show up in your life. Finally then, Jesus shows up. Uh, Matthew 7. Uh, You can look at Anything 15 to 23, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Jesus is finishing the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Um, He's talked in chapters 5 and 6 and then finishes in chapter 7. And I'm not going to read all of these verses. But if you start in 15 and go all the way to 23, he's talking about this comparison of false prophets and how you'll know there are false prophets. And then he gets to 21 and he lays down some heavy truth here in 21. And, and we just don't talk about this in church, I think, as, as maybe, not maybe as often as we need to, but we need to at least introduce the topic here. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many are going to say on that day, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles? And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you depart from me. Everyone who hears these words, he says, and acts upon them. You're like the guy who built his house on solid rock. Winds, tornado, all this stuff come, and you still still standing. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act upon them, you're in trouble. Hearing my word isn't the issue. It's acting upon my word. That's the issue. You know, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Guys, love is an action. And James makes it clear in chapter 2, loving Loving the, disen, uh, the disenfranchised, the impoverished, isn't saying, well, I'm going to pray for you. I, hope, I hope, you just, hope you get a job soon. I hope you get on your way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lift you up in prayer. In fact, you're, you're going to make the top of my prayer list. James is saying, go get the guy a hamburger. Feed him or her. Love is an action. It's not theory. It's not cute words. It's not a hallmark. Love is rolling up our sleeves and saying the world will know we are Christ followers by our actions, by our good works, by our deeds. Clearly, I think all four men here are echoing the same point. I think we see that clearly throughout Scripture. Comment or question, Becker? Yeah, I was just going to share that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about uh, that, well, the faith is a God-given thing, uh, it says in uh, verse uh, 3, in chapter 3, that uh, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God that causes the, the growth. And so even though that we have faith, it's, it's because God's the one that's given us that faith to believe. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and notice what, um, what Jesus says, too. And hear me clearly, guys. It's not an issue of, well, I just need to do a bunch of good works then. Because Jesus is saying, these people came to Jesus and said, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. So, so don't, get, don't get on a bent of saying, if I just do enough to prove myself. 
But Jesus is saying, the reason you'll want to do these things, maybe these things or some other things, the reason you'll want to do them is because of the faith you have inside. And so the conversation, the dance, the marriage you have with your Savior goes something like, Jesus, I, I, maybe I don't even want, I don't know if I really want to do this stuff. But I'm going to trust in you that through your strength and through your power, I'm going to be able to, to, to satisfy some of these things. Because I know this is what I should be doing. And Jesus says, great, yeah, it's going to, this is going to happen. So it's not just how will we know you're a Christian? Well, let's line up your works and see. It's a combination. It's a marriage of faith and works. So that when you're telling your story, you're quick to give God the glory. You're quick to praise him. You're quick to say, it would have never happened without God. There's no way I could have accomplished this. There's no way he could have done this in my life or my family's life without him. Yeah, great. That's exactly what a believer should. That's a story that, that, that should that resemble our entire lives as believers. He goes on to give examples here of what dead faith is. And let me just kind of contrast this then. Look at verse 16 of James chapter 2. Go back to James. Because you may be sitting there thinking, I don't know, Greg, I, you know, I don't have that many stories. And I don't know, honestly, truth be told, I don't know where I am faith-wise. I don't know if I have live faith, dead faith. When did, you know, I, I'm, I was trying to think the other day, what, at what era, what, what point did we get off track with this? I think it was in the 80s or so, they started this, this term, easy believism. Maybe you've heard the term cheap grace. Um, I remember being on, on, a, on a mission project, a summer project, and we spent the whole summer in a city, and we had to go out and get jobs and then share our faith and stuff. And one weekend, the, or one week actually, the, uh, it was called Slaying the Giants Week, and the, the director of the project, one of the college students, the director of the project came and said, he said, um, at your job or, or on the boardwalk, I was over in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey, hanging out over there, and he said, he said um, at night, whenever you have time, go share your faith with people. And at the end of the week, we're going to tally up how many people came to know Jesus. And there were 80 or 85 of us on project or so. And so, so it was a great idea to get us out there, you know, telling people about Jesus. But I got to be honest with you guys, I was motivated by, by numbers, I wanted to see the tallies go up on the board. And at the end of the week, sure enough, like over 1,200 people we shared with, a couple hundred people came to know Jesus. We're all, have, you know, we're all clapping and serving Jesus. Easy believism, I don't know, cheap grace. Like what, what, were we, what was I sharing with those people? Was I, just, was I just motivated to say, hey, you need to know Jesus, I'm moving on, hey, now, can God's word be planted? Can a seed be planted? Absolutely. Does God's word ever come back void? No. But somewhere along the line, I think the local church got, got into a little bit into just, just tell Jesus you love him and, and that's enough. And, and what I'm going to suggest is this. I don't care how you did it. Prayed the prayer, came to the altar, knelt at the cross washed in the blood, whatever, you, however it worked for you. That's not, that isn't our conversation. My conversation is, what's he been doing in your life since then? That's my conversation, because I think that's what this conversation is. It's a great story we have about our salvation, how we came to know Jesus. But the proof 
is post-Jesus, post-salvation. What has God been doing in your life? So here's what James says in terms of a dead faith. Look at verse 16. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, and yet you don't give what is necessary for their body, what use is that? I want to call this, I guess I want to phrase this in terms of dead faith. This is the person who knows everything but, but doesn't do anything. This is the person that, that, that knows what to say but never puts their feet to the ground and actually goes and does it. This is the person that walks by the angel tree week after week after week and says, nah, that's just not my thing. Okay, that's fine. If that's not your thing, what is your thing? So again, can I just gently, in this season of giving and Advent, and did you get through the whole year this year passing on every opportunity to exercise your faith, waiting for the next time because this one was inconvenient? If that's the case, how do you not read James chapter 2 and just feel a little bit of a twinge of, gosh, is that me? I'm not saying, guys, please hear me, all of us need to be Mother Teresa's and we all need to give up our jobs and go. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying, though, that from January to December, what's been happening? And, And if every time the opportunity to exercise your faith showed up and you passed on it, I just, I, 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 I feel, I hurt for you because you're being, you're robbing yourself of the joy that you will receive from serving, from exercising your faith. Um, here, so, so real quickly, here's the second one. Then go, go to verse 19. Jesus says, or James says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. I'll show you my faith. So he's building, they call this a Greek diatribe. He's building an argument from just theory, he's saying, but someone may, someone may argue that point. And someone may say, hey, that's just your thing. Your thing, you're the social justice guy. You're, you're, the, you're the faith warrior girl. And so that's just your thing. My thing is I just like to have you know, my faith and kind of be intellectual and sit in, in think tanks and really just discuss. Your thing is to go put the feet. You know, we're all part of one body and I'm, I'm the brain. And you're the hands and feet you go out and do. James says, okay, if that's the case, then you believe God is one. You do well. Look what he says. The demons also believe and they shudder. What did the demons believe? Well, in three other verses in the Gospels, in Matthew 8, Luke 5, uh, Mark 5, and Luke 4, Jesus encounters demons. Demons possess people. And in every case... They echo, they call Jesus out by his title or his name. Either they say you're the son of God or the son of the most high. So when Jesus shows up and there's a demon-possessed person, he doesn't say, do you know who I am? They say to him, what would you do with us, son of God? What, what do you want with us, son of the most high? And James is saying, listen, if your position is you have faith and works, I just have faith and we need to be cool with that. The demons have faith in terms of intellectual assent. The demons know who Jesus is. So if you go around thinking, well, I'm good because I know who Jesus is. James is saying, the demons know who Jesus is. And I don't think they're going to be sitting around in glory sharing stories about how he worked in their life. So you got to figure this out. It's not that we're, we're not about the business, guys. 
of saying, do you know who Jesus is? Yes, good, you're good, you're golden, man. That's, that's all we need to know. The, 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 the devil's minions know that. And they, they shudder, they fear him. So we've got the person who, 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 who shows up to everything but does nothing. And then you've got the person who knows everything about the scriptures and about God. And that doesn't show up in their life. It doesn't move from their head to their heart. Dead faith. Now again, I'm trusting that in the, in the season of Advent, you came here out of your own... You know, no one forced you to come here, so you showed up in the busiest season of the, of the year. And so i got to trust that the majority of us in here, we're saying, I want to know God. I want to know Jesus. I want to learn. And part of, being, part of being a believer is being in God's Word. So praise God for intellectual discussion. And thank God for this church, guys, because it's kind of preaching to the choir here, but we are not about the business of just having intellectual discussions. For as much as I love that, um, I, you know, I, I'm coming on Saturday to help wrap presents or, or, you know, whatever. And, and I'm all, I'm busy, you're busy, but it's needed. We, you know, why not do it? And I can't wait to bring my kids because I don't get to do ministry a lot with my kids. So here we are, it's, you know, it's second Saturday. Let's just show up and wrap some presents and, and, and receive the joy of serving. Okay. Uh, comment or question over here. And then we got to oh, we get you home. When you were talking about that story, remind me of the thief on the cross, the two thieves, and the one that was mocking Jesus at the cross, and the other who realized who Jesus truly was, who had no works to show, and then comparing him to Nicodemus, who had done all of these things. Yeah. And then just remind me, he, he did nothing, but Jesus said, on this day, you will be with me in paradise. That's right, yeah. And, so, and, and what I've heard people say to that point is, well, look at the thief on the cross. You're like, what did he do? And my, my gentle reminder is, what could he do? What, what, what was his options with an 11th and a half hour decision for Jesus? So, I, so, so when, we use, when we use the thief on the cross as an example of um, great faith but little works, I would agree. I would say great faith, little works because little opportunities. And, I, and, hear, and hear me clearly, guys. I'm not suggesting go make your own opportunities. I think God will be faithful in your life to say, I'm looking for those people that I can just throw opportunity. Boom, 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 boom. And are you going to step into them? Because we don't know when our last day's coming. So the opportunities you get this next year in 2013, can, can I just help us take them? Step into them. I have no idea what God's going to do, but I guarantee you a year from now when we're having the same conversation about stories, you're going to be the first hand that goes up. Um, let me, we throw the PowerPoint up. Let me just close with this. Um, and I may have shared this last time, um, but how do you answer this question? If you're put on trial in a court of law for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Just think about that, and we'll uh, we'll get together next week, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll study some more. God, thank you for tonight. God, we praise you that you have provided this opportunity in this building. I love, I love, I love uh, free discussion. 
And Father, I pray that we would be accomplishing what the, uh, what the word tells us to by sharpening each other. I certainly learn a lot from hearing comments and questions and it makes me think and I love that. Pray, Father, though, that it wouldn't be our wisdom that's sharpening each other, but it'd be your spirit moving in each one of us. And God, maybe there's some people here tonight that, um, boy, they're tracking and they just didn't have time to share as many stories as they could have. And that's, God, praise you. Praise you for those faithful followers of Christ who are just out there grinding and expecting you to show up and you do. And, and it's just this great, awesome dance that you're, you're in with them. I, I have to guess, God, that there's maybe a couple of us here tonight that, boy, we'd love a few more stories. And so maybe tonight on the way home, maybe we can talk to our spouse about this, our kids. Maybe we can just talk to you about this. And maybe the conversation could go something like, God, I I want a couple more stories. But God, I pray that if we do that, we're going to do that out of faith. We're going to trust in something we can't see and be assured in something we've never touched or, or tasted or heard. That the God of all creation is going to speak into our lives. And when you do that, God, maybe we so quick to give you the credit that our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers around us would not only see a transformed life, but they would hear the great story of what you're doing in our lives. That we would be bold believers of the faith. That this season of Jesus's birth, how easy it would be for us to just take opportunities that are come our way and say, do you know the story of the birth of Jesus Christ? Would you come to church with me on Sunday? Could you, could you come to Christmas Eve service? And let that be a, a uh, momentous occasion for all of us. And we'll give you the praise, Father. Do a good work this week in our lives. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you uh, one more time next week.